0: Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast.
1: Hello, you spectacular people! Welcome to this 402nd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we have a location that was suggested by, and we got some research assistance from Jules Slosher again. You might recall we had one a, a couple of weeks ago that I do. helped with. And
0: thank you so much. Yes, we greatly
1: appreciate that. And this is the Virginia Military Institute. And we have quite a few ghosts hanging out at this school. But before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Becca. Michelle, who throws an S in in front of her C and H with her name and has two L's. Martha, Pat, Bailey, who spells her name A-Y-L-E-Y, Brittany, Holly with an I-E, and Christopher. Thank you
0: for joining us in the Spooktacular crew. And now, this moment in Oddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Scott Booker. Many people erroneously believe that President George Washington had wooden teeth. His dentures were actually made with ivory from hippos and elephants, real human teeth, rivets, gold, and spiral springs. Some of the first dentures were found in Mexico in 2500 BC and they were made from wolf teeth. Italy had dentures made from both animal and human teeth in 700 BC. Japan was the first country to fashion wooden dentures. Carved ivory and bones, along with human and animal teeth, were what dentists of the 18th century experimented with. Dentists weren't the only profession working on dentures. Ivory turners, goldsmiths, and barber surgeons all got in on the act. A man named Alexis Duchateau had dentures made from hippopotami, but they wrought it, so he joined forces with the dentist and they created the first porcelain dentures in 1770. In the 1850s, dentures started to be made from a hardened rubber called vulcanite that was teamed with porcelain teeth. Celluloid was the first type of plastic used for false teeth and eventually was replaced by polymethyl methacrylate in 1938 and is still used today. The history of dentures certainly is odd. Now this month in history.
1: In the month of September on the 7th, in eighteen seventy-six, the James Younger gang was attacked by an angry mob of townspeople while trying to rob a bank. Jim Cole and Bob Younger joined forces with Bill Chadwell, Clell Miller and Jesse and Frank James to form the James Younger Gang with the purpose of robbing banks. And that is what they were doing that September day. Five of the men galloped into town, firing their pistols and whooping and hollering to create a distraction, while three other members of the gang entered the Northfield, Minnesota First National Bank. Jesse James ordered a cashier to open the bank safe, but the cashier stalled, claiming that the safe was on a timer. A teller made for the back door and was shot in the shoulder on his way out. He cried for help from the townspeople and the citizens came running with their guns. Clell Miller was shot dead by a medical student, and Bill Chadwell was mortally wounded by a nearby business owner who used a rapid-fire Remington repeater rifle. All three of the youngers were badly wounded, and Frank James was shot in the leg. Jesse shot the cashier in the head and ran out of the bank, managing to get on his horse without getting shot. What was left of the gang rode out of town, and the James brothers made off on their own. They escaped to the Dakota Territory and eventually reformed a new bank-robbing gang in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Virginia Military Institute holds the distinction of being the oldest state-supported military college in the United States. This was founded over 180 years ago, and the Institute takes pride in having a competitive educational program that also develops cadets to be citizen, soldiers, and many have gone on to be officers in the various branches of the military. One of the members of the faculty was Stonewall Jackson, and there are those who claim his spirit haunts the place. That's not the only ghost here, though. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Virginia Military Institute.
1: Virginia Military Institute is located in Lexington, Virginia, which is in the Shenandoah Valley. The Cherokee and Monacan tribes had settled here, but left after European settlers came to the area. The city was named in 1778 after Lexington, Massachusetts, in honor of that city being the place where the first shot in the American Revolution was fired. Did you ever go to Lexington and Concord? Unfortunately, no, not yet. Well, we'll have to get you there. It's very interesting historically. A fire in 1796 almost destroyed the city, and it would also come under fire during the Civil War. Texas hero Sam Houston was born here in 1793. Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee would have their final resting places here. And it was here that Virginia established a military school.
0: Virginia Military Institute, or VMI, was established in 1839, and one of the traditions started at that time is still carried on today, walking guard duty as a sentry. Every cadet that has come through the school has experienced this tradition. We love that the first cadet assigned to this duty was named John B. Strange. Does it get any better than that for us? <laughs> Absolutely not.
1: Because what I really love is that his middle name is B, too. So it's like, John, be strange.
0: <laughs> I should use that name for one of my tombstones that I'm making. You should. It would be perfect. <laughs> or somebody be strange. <laughs> but before this official guard duty, there had been other quote-unquote guards here. What prompted the establishment of the institute was a desire by the citizens of Lexington to get rid of the riffraff that they had guarding the local arsenal that had been built during the War of 1812. The soldiers sent to protect this arsenal were apparently a bunch of party animals that created more trouble than they were worth. But the citizens wanted to keep their arsenal. An idea was put forward to establish something like West Point Academy. Lexington attorney John Thomas Lewis Preston took up the reins
1: and led the charge by writing three anonymous letters in the Lexington Gazette in 1835. You got to love when they write these anonymous letters like, oh, it's coming from three different people who all have this idea. Preston put forward the idea that students getting a liberal education while learning military discipline would not only protect the arsenal, but give the state the ability to have trained officers for the state's militia. Preston got local business owners to join him, and they managed to get the Virginia legislature to pass a bill authorizing the school's formation in 1836. The governor signed it into law, and a board was formed to organize the school. Preston came up with the name Virginia Military Institute, and Claudius Crozet became the first president of the board. He had been an engineer in Napoleon Bonaparte's army, and Thomas Jefferson referred to Crozet as, quote, the smartest mathematician in the United States. The initial plan for the school was to open as a military and engineering school, rather than offering a liberal education. So Preston had wanted it to be liberal education, but they were going more of a military and engineering kind of route, which makes sense because you got a guy here who is an engineer from Napoleon's army.
0: The first graduating class consisted of 16 cadets who graduated in 1842. Something that has kept VMI unique is that unlike other senior military colleges in America, VMI enrolls only cadets and only offers bachelor degrees. Over the years, degrees have been offered in engineering, science, and liberal arts, and all cadets have to be part of ROTC. In 1851, Thomas Stonewall Jackson became a part of the faculty. He was a major at that time and taught natural and experimental philosophy. In 1859, he led a group of VMI infantry and artillery units in traveling to Charlestown, Virginia, to witness the execution of John Brown. Shortly thereafter, the Civil War started and VMI cadets were pulled into active duty. Many served with the Confederacy and many of the VMI alumni were considered the best officers in both armies, with 15 graduates attaining the ranks of general in the Confederate Army.
1: One of those to obtain general during the Civil War was Thomas Jackson, who also earned his nickname Stonewall at that time, too. He would also die during the war at the Battle of Chancellorville in 1863. Before fighting began, Jackson saw that many of the men under him were from VMI and he declared, the Institute will be heard from today. Jackson was hit by friendly fire the evening of the battle. He and his staff were returning to camp when another regiment thought it was a Yankee trick and that men from the Union cavalry were sneaking in for a surprise attack. The general was hit in the left arm twice and once in the right hand. He was not given care right away and by the time he got help, his arm had to be amputated so he laid there for a while because they thought it was the enemy. He developed pneumonia and died from it eight days after being shot. His doctor, Henry McGuire, said of Jackson's death, a few moments before he died, he cried out in his delirium, order A.P. Hill to prepare for action, pass the infantry to the front rapidly, tell Major Hawks, then stopped, leaving the sentence unfinished. Presently, a smile of ineffable sweetness spread itself over his pale face, and he said quietly and with an expression as if of relief, let us cross over the river and rest under the shade of the trees. So it makes you wonder what he was seeing in that moment of his death. Yeah, it's almost like he's like preparing for battle and then the image like wipes out in front of him and he's seeing a peaceful, serene place. On May 15th, 1863, the Corps of Cadets escorted Jackson's remains to his grave in Lexington. His arm didn't make the trip. It was buried at the field hospital. Perhaps that's why he is at unrest. But more on that later. Oh, my word. (laughs) Well, if you think he died eight days after, they probably amputated it. I'm sure they did what they did with all those parts. They just buried them in the fields. And now people go to excavate their yards in these places and go, there's a bunch of bones from legs and arms here. Is this where a
0: serial killer lived? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's
1: probably what they think.
0: The cadets of VMI were called into service again during the Civil War for the Battle of Newmarket. This campaign helped turn the tide in favor of the Confederacy. 247 cadets marched 80 miles from Lexington to Newmarket before the battle started on May 15, 1864. The VMI cadets held the line and pushed the Union forces back over an open, muddy field, capturing Union artillery along the way and securing a victory. Ten of those men would perish and 47 were wounded. Six of the dead were buried on the VMI grounds behind a statue named Virginia Mourning Her Dead by sculptor Moses Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a cadet at VMI and wounded in that battle. The American Battlefield Trust recognizes this as the only time in U.S. history that a student body from an operating college fought as a unit in pitched combat in battle. In all, VMI cadets were called into action 14 times. And on that term, pitched battle, we weren't sure what that was, but apparently it's like a date. A very bad date. Worse than a blind date because there won't be casualties.
1: Although there might be some blind dates with casualties too. Well,
0: this could be true. This is a planned battle where both sides commit to it, with the option of pulling out before the battle begins. See, it's like a date. I guess so. <laughs> so this differentiates it from an ambush or a meeting engagement, which is at an unexpected time and location. The Institute would suffer its own damage during the war when it was shelled and burned on June 12, 1864. This was only a temporary setback as the damage was repaired and the institute was reopened on October 17, 1865.
1: The school would continue to grow and expand, educating more and more cadets into the early 1900s. 1,400 alumni would serve during World War I and cadets at the school practiced building trenches and conducting trench warfare where Foster Stadium would eventually be built. After the war, the library was added as well as a new engineering building. Special training programs were added during World War II and more than 4,000 alumni served during the war. So many veterans of the war wanted to use their GI Bill at VMI that a new barracks needed to be built. However, like so many other areas, VMI was slow to diversify their cadet body. The first cadets were strictly from Virginia and numbered 23. It wasn't until 1857 that the Institute was open to all residents of America. Well, all white male residents of America. And it wouldn't be until 1972 that the first black cadets would graduate. Back in 1991,
0: 1991. Very good year. Oh, is that (laughs) when you graduated graduated from high high school?
1: (laughs) VMI was taken to court because it would not admit women. The Justice Department said that it was unconstitutional for taxpayers to support a school that didn't allow women, while the school argued that admitting women would destroy the camaraderie among men that is at the heart of its military training. Women won, and the first female cadets entered the Corps in 1997. Today, women comprise about
0: 8% of the 1,600-member cadet corps. Since the Mexican-American War, VMI cadets have served in every war involving the United States. During World Wars I and II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War, over 300 alumni were killed. During Operation Desert Storm, two alumni were killed. Two VMI alumni were killed on September 11, 2001, in the terrorist attacks on America, and 12 alumni were killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. Another well-known graduate of VMI was General of the Army, George C. Marshall, who graduated in 1901 and served as the World War II Army Chief of Staff. He was architect of the Marshall Plan, which was named for him and was a Nobel Peace Prize winner. The Marshall Plan was an economic plan for Europe to rebuild after World War II and was enacted in 1948. The plan also wanted to halt the spread of communism and led to the start of the Cold War and called for the formation of NATO.
1: Another well-known graduate was Jonathan M. Daniels, who graduated in 1961 as valedictorian. After Daniels graduated, he realized he was called into the ministry and attended the Episcopal Divinity School in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He heard Dr. Martin Luther King calling for clergy to become involved in the civil rights movement, and Daniels went to Alabama to help register black voters. He was arrested for doing that. After being released, he accompanied a Catholic priest named Richard Morrisroe and two black teenagers named Joyce Bailey and Ruby Sales to a store to buy some sodas. A man named Tom Coleman, who was the part-time deputy sheriff, stopped them on the steps of the store. He held a shotgun and aimed it at 16-year-old Ruby Sales. Daniels pushed Ruby down and stepped in front of her, taking the shot from the gun, killing him instantly. Coleman fired again, seriously wounding the Catholic priest. Martin Luther King Jr. said of the incident, One of the most heroic Christian deeds of which I have heard in my entire ministry was performed by Jonathan Daniels. Daniels would eventually be named a lesser saint of the Episcopal Church for his sacrifice.
0: There are several legends and ghosts repeatedly connected to the Military Institute. The first legend is connected to the Virginia Mourning Her Dead statue for the fallen students from the Battle of Newmarket. Cadets claim to have heard cries coming from the statue, and there have even been real tears reported to be coming from the eyes. One of the ghosts at VMI is also connected to the Battle of Newmarket. Cadet William Hugh McDowell from North Carolina started at VMI in August of 1863. He was killed on May 15th, 1864, at the battle while serving as a cadet private in Company B. You know who else is part of Company B? Who, Kelly? The boogie-woogie bugle boy. Of <laughs> Company <laughs> B.
1: Yeah, when I type that out, I just start having that song go through my head.
0: Well, especially because with what we've been watching for Outlander. Yeah, it takes Claire, you back to that time. Yeah, Claire sings that all the time. Yep. Private McDowell's remains were taken to his father along with his effects. His father noticed that a gold watch he had given his son was not among those effects. Nobody knows what happened to the watch, but the cadet seems to be at unrest over that. People claim to see the ghost cadet walking around as though he's looking for something on the battlefield.
1: There are claims of a helpful ghost who knocks on the doors of cadets that are set to do guard duty. It's as though the spirit is making sure they're not late for sentry duty. And another ghost seems to belong to a hanged man and there's a story told about a cadet who hanged himself from the balcony at J.M. Hall. Thomas Stonewall Jackson also seems to be hanging out here in the afterlife. Some of his possessions and the bones of his warhorse, Little Sorrel, are on display at the campus chapel. This was only one of two Civil War horses that were mounted when they died. Jackson's body laid and stayed in his classroom. Many people have witnessed a blue light that drifts through the hallways and goes into Jackson's old classroom They believe that blue light is Jackson's spirit. And one thing that lends credence to this for me is that the only apparition that you kind of saw trying to materialize was a blue light at McPike Mansion. Indeed.
0: It always makes me happy when I hear about people seeing blue lights, just like last week when that writer's experience was that they witnessed an apparition that ended up concentrating into a blue light and then disappearing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The most disturbing spirit here is called the Yellow Peril. This figure appears on the third floor of the barracks and got its name because it has a bony and yellow face. The best narrative about this entity we found on Reddit by poster Liberty or Death Eleven. I have had a couple of different experiences or encounters at VMI, but none compared to this one. There was a story about a ghost poltergeist called the Yellow Peril. Apparently, it was a ghost that was only seen on the third floor near a particular stairwell inside the barracks that had a yellow face with a bloody gash down the center. I'm literally getting chills as I write this. Anyway, there were a couple of cadets and faculty that had claimed to have seen it. Always the same description, same location, and always at around 0330 at night. This is also the time when drum outs take place when a cadet is dismissed for an honor violation. Everyone who said they saw it always said that they were walking the stoops when they got a powerful feeling that they were being watched or that someone was following them. When they turned around, there it was, the yellow face with a bleeding scar staring right at them. Anyway, one night when I lived on the third floor of the
1: barracks, I was a sophomore cadet at the time and all sophomores live on the third floor, I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Always a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Although, it's always the bathroom that's haunted. <laughs> and I, I always have to go at least once or twice every night, so. Cadet rooms do not have bathrooms, and you have to leave your room and walk on the outside stoop to go to one. I remember looking at my clock, and it said o three twenty nine, but I didn't think anything of it. Well, I went to the bathroom and was walking back to my room, passing by that particular staircase, when every hair on my body stood up. Again, I'm getting chills right now just writing this. I've never before nor since had such a strong sixth sense feeling like it. And I can actually remember an internal voice in my head telling me that if I turned around, I was going to see something I did not want to see. Well, I'd love to tell you that I was brave and turned around, but I didn't. And instead, I pulled my bathrobe up over the back of my head and walked as swiftly as I could back to my room. (laughs) That sounds like a good way to protect yourself. Kind of like staying under the covers in your bed. (laughs) I was just going to say, if the sheets work on the bed, the bathrobe works too, I'm sure. Everything in me wanted to run, but I knew that if I did that, I would panic. The whole way back, I felt like I was being followed even once I got into my room. I went to go lay down in my rack, pulled my blanket up over my head, and tried to go back to sleep. Here's where it gets
0: even creepier. A couple of months later, I was doing some personal research in the bottom level of the library in the section on VMI history, which is rather extensive. Anyway, I found this book called Memories of VMI, or something like that, published in 1937. It was a collection of different stories from alumni around the turn of the century. Some comical, some not so. Well, as I was flipping through the various chapters and stories, I saw one titled The VMI Phantom. It sounded interesting, so I began to read it. It was a story from an alumnus who was talking about an event back when he was a cadet. He said that one morning a sophomore cadet seemed pretty shaken during breakfast. His roommates were trying to find out what was wrong. After a while, he finally told them that the night before, around three thirty, he awoke in his bed to the feeling that he was being watched. When he looked up, he saw standing over him a ghost with a yellow face and a bleeding scar. More chills. His roommates all laughed at him and told him he was just dreaming. Well, a few nights later, two other sophomore cadets said they both woke up in the middle of the night after feeling the sensation that they were being watched. And both saw the ghost with a yellow face and bleeding scar. Word traveled through the barracks about the apparition, and a number of cadets decided to try to catch the spirit. The next night, two cadet roommates who were on the football team woke up and saw the ghost. Both apparently leapt at the ghost and tried to pin it to the wall with a chair. One cadet was flung over a table by the ghost, and the other broke his arm. After that, the entire barracks was in a state of panic. Cadets slept with their rifles, bayonets, and a few kept pistols under their pillows. Officers who normally performed midnight checks to make sure cadets were in their beds after lights out were apparently rushing along the stoops as quickly as possible, completely neglecting to even look into rooms. After a time, the ghost hadn't been seen for a while and everything went back to normal. After finishing the chapter, I was utterly stunned. Here was a story written from
1: a no-doubt honorable man almost 100 years prior describing the exact same ghost with the same descriptions and in the same location that cadets and faculty were seeing today. No one I talked to ever knew anything about the Yellow Peril, having been seen decades before, and the book I found probably hadn't been read for well over 50 years. After that, I knew that what I felt on the third stoop that night wasn't my imagination. It was the same ghost that has been haunting that area of the old barracks for a hundred years. I never walked anywhere near that part of the barracks after dark for the rest of my cadetship. So let me just say, all of the experiences that we're sharing with you here are all off of Reddit. They had a group over there, and this is like the VMI group that were sharing these things. While I was reading through some of that, I found out that this guy had written a letter back to, I don't know if it was his girlfriend or just a friend named Florence. And I went to see if I could find it because they had this letter archived and it was his name and then his papers. And there were several of them. And in one of them, he relates this ghost that's at the barracks. And I couldn't get a hold of it because you have to like send for it and all this other stuff. Well, it just so happens that somebody on Reddit actually had the letters and had scanned them and put them up it's hard to read because it's in cursive and it's a guy writing. (laughs) (laughs) But let me kind of sum up what he had written. So the cadet's name was James D. Hankins, and he wrote this letter in 1921. And he specifically said it was a spook haunting the old barracks. In the letter, he tells Florence the ghost has them all so scared that they are sleeping with loaded pistols on their tables and bayonets under their pillows. I would not want
0: to be a guard checking in on the cadets because somebody would shoot
1: me. (laughs) That's what I would be afraid of. And he even remarks, poor old ghost. Like, you know, if that ghost comes around, we're going to get him. And that's exactly what I was thinking. One of these sentries is going to come in there and they're going to be like, it's the ghost. Get him. So I'm surprised they didn't have that happen. Exactly. And I just want to cite this, that this is the James D. Hankin Papers Manuscript number 0144 from the Virginia Military Institute Archives. And... What's really interesting is here you're reading somebody on Reddit and he's relating something that he personally had. Then he goes in and he's looking back through archives. He finds this story explaining all of this stuff. And then here's this other letter from some other cadet talking about this. So this is something that really happened there. Yeah, definitely a legitimate
0: haunting. Exactly. I love it when you have all of these things coming together. In 2019, Lucky Squirrel 21 wrote on Reddit, I remember when I was a cadet there. I was on guard one foggy night, and I was walking along my assigned route. It was dead silent. All of a sudden, I thought I heard footsteps behind me. I looked back, but no one was there. I kept walking, and I heard them again. Again, I turned around. No one there. I was pretty scared at this moment, so I thought I'd play a trick. I walked a couple of steps, then suddenly stopped before my foot touched the ground, and I swear to this day, I heard a step behind me. Also, I remember hearing a story from an alumni, class of 76, who heard this story from another alumni, class of 47. He told me that him and his roommates were up late one night in their room studying when all of a sudden the door flew open in a gust of wind and a ghostly cadet dressed in Civil War style clothes walked in carrying a lantern. All he said was, turn out your candles before he disappeared. And the cadets all peed themselves a little bit. (laughs) Thanks for that little addition.
1: I mean, what would you do if you're just sitting in there hanging out and all of a sudden the door slams open and there's this Civil War soldier standing there screaming at you to put out your candles?
0: I don't think I'd pee myself, but I would be shocked.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jay Kinster shared his experience on Reddit 11 years ago. First, let me begin by saying that I'm a cadet at the Virginia Military Institute and i am bound by the nation's strictest code to tell things how they truly happen, not loaded with a bunch of half-truths and whatnot. Having said that, my first encounter, if you will, happened, oh, about two years ago in my second year here at the I, I guess is another nickname for it. I was the Corporal of the Guard that night, second shift, and my shift ran from 2.20 to 4.40 in the morning. So one night I was making my nightly check at the Jackson Memorial Chapel. I noticed a thick fog setting in over the parade ground, which is never very settling at 3.30 in the morning. Anyway, my job was to ensure that all the doors were locked and no one was in there after hours. Well, I checked the three main entrances in front of the building all locked and made my way to the one door behind the chapel, which happened to be down two stories of concrete stairs that ran along the outside of the building. Being in uniform for guard includes a dark gray blouse, starched white pants, and thick-soled leather low quarters, which make a very distinct sound hitting concrete pavement. As I was walking down these stairs, I could feel chills running down my spine and notice my flashlight trembling from my hands shaking so badly, which is no normal occurrence for me. I reached the last step and reached for the door, when as I stopped moving, heard two more clacks of low quarters hitting pavement as clear as day come down the stairs right behind me. Shaking, I spun around, saw nothing, and proceeded to run back up to the ground level, dropping my flashlight behind the chapel. As I was moving back to the guard room at a rather brisk pace, I looked across the parade deck and noticed what looked like a deer grazing just inside the fog line. Weird for 3.30 a.m. Actually, it's not. I've seen that myself in Iowa at my sister's farm. Sure. I was coming in because... We were out in the camper and we had to go into the house, to go to the bathroom. And I was doing that in the middle of the night. And I came out and about peed myself because there were three deer just standing (laughs) out there and they all started bouncing and running and all I could see were their silhouettes. I'm like, oh, my God, what is that? (laughs) So it does happen. But I kept moving and after a few more steps, looked again and saw its head perked up staring directly at me. Now, this animal was about 100 yards away in fog, but I could clearly see it on all fours and the faint outline of its head perked up in my direction. And after what just happened, I was a little spooked until I saw it rear up on two legs and dart in the opposite direction into the fog. I'm not sure if this has any historical occurrence here at VMI, but I know what I saw and I was terrified. So I ran back into the guard room and stayed put until my shift was over. Yeah, I mean, I could see him being a little bit scared because you already heard what you thought was a ghost behind you. And then you're running and then you see something looking at you out there. (laughs) like
0: God. Well, even last year after we went to Screamageddon for Halloween with our boys driving back from there and it was probably i don't know was it close to 3 or 2 a.m it was late it was the middle yeah it was the middle of the morning and there were tons of deer along the road and they were kind of creepy looking when the headlights would hit them and they would just kind of stare at you they they were right up next to the road
1: it was fearful at all i've never had an experience like that driving down a road because we're on these back roads no lights i've got the brights on and like you said when kelly says a ton we probably saw a hundred deer at least. I would say more than that. Yeah. And it was like every few feet, it was like, there's one, there's another one. And then we'd see like a group of three or four.
0: And then we'd slow down and barely poke along because we didn't want them running yeah. out in front of I us. I was
1: just terrified one of these deer was going to dart in front of the car because I'm like, we are just
0: surrounded. And there were some semis driving by mm-hmm. and they didn't even flinch. No, it they was... just kept stand- standing right on the side of the road. It was bizarre. I think that's why it was so unnerving. Mm-hmm. Is because they were just so unaffected by vehicles.
1: Exactly. Maybe
0: they were ghosts. Maybe they were zombie deer. (laughs) Could be.
1: I mean, their eyes looked kind of weird in the headlights. Hey,
0: brains. (laughs) (laughs) Another odd occurrence was with what my roommate and I believed to be the legendary yellow peril of VMI, said to haunt the third stoop in a corner of barracks with a not so bright history. The yellow peril is said to take the form of a cadet in a dark gray blouse wearing a garrison cap with the brim pulled down over his eyes and a faint yellow tinted face with a gash strewn across it. So one night during Virginia's biggest windstorm in the past decade, my roommate and I were sitting in our room when we heard a loud screech coming from the wind rattling the window panes in the windows when all of a sudden the window slammed shut, which opened inward and the transom above our door slammed shut, which also opens inward. That alone was enough to worry us as we moved towards the door to see what happened. We both saw crystal clear a figure without a face in a cadet's uniform walk past the door window looking in. We realized it was around 2 a.m., so we looked to see who it was and saw nothing. Looked in our rooms, to our left and right, and saw no one awake. Came back to our room and saw no one there. Petrified, we both sat for a while staring aimlessly out of the doorway until we both eventually fell asleep. If any of you ever get a chance to talk to a VMI alumni, ask him what he's seen. It'll blow your mind. Another Redditor wrote, I've had some weird
1: blank happen to me and one of my roommates in that corner of old barracks. We were in room 121 and squatted there from third class year till first class. So two stories. Number one, my roomie and I were up late cramming for a a statistics final third class year while our other two roomies were out in Scottship doing whatever it is L.A. majors do. Of course, this is a bunch of their speak, so I have no idea what they're saying. It's just a bit before 2 a.m. and we're tired and decide to call it quits for the night. Lights go out, pillow over the head, and I'm drifting to sleep. A few minutes later, the light of one of our other roommates turns on. There was no audible flick of the switch or anything. It wakes us both up and we have a minor, yo, what the bleep just happened moment. Eventually, we calm down and get back to snoozing. A few nights later, we're studying some more late at night and the same thing happens. This time we're both still up and visibly saw it. The switch indeed did not move. The light just turned on. We really freaked out this time and didn't fall asleep for the rest of the night. Left for winter furlough the next day. The second story. First class year, I woke up around 3.30 having the urge to take a massive... Needs to go to the bathroom. Tinkle. <laughs> Tinkle. <laughs> I get myself out of bed, throw on my bathrobe and warm comfy slippers and stumble over to that small men's room in the corner. Relief washes over me as I execute an exquisite midnight peep. We're getting this detailed after (laughs) I wash my hands and dry them. Thank goodness. I walk out of the bathroom as my eyes are adjusting from the bright light inside to the almost pitch black of old barracks. I make out the shape of someone coming into the bathroom through that really narrow entryway. So I go sideways and reach out to pat him on the back and guide myself around him. Except my hand goes through him. If I would not just used the restroom, I would have pissed myself in shock. I ran back to my room and was awake all night from the adrenaline.
0: Clearly, the Institute has a firm place in military history. Is Virginia Military Institute haunted? That is for you to decide.
1: Kelly, you know what I love about these stories? These are men and women that serve with an honor code. So they're less likely to make this stuff up. It's just like when you hear these stories from policemen or firemen, gives it a little bit more credence because these are people who have something to risk. A little bit more believable. And I mean, these are people who don't know each other from anything
0: and they're all sharing
1: personal experiences that pretty much line up.
0: True. The only thing that crossed my mind from year to year with all the different experiences that all sounded very, very similar Mm -hmm. was perhaps a tulpa.
1: Oh, yeah. Because I mean... Where's this yellow peril coming from? Because this is a school. It's not a place where we had a battle happening. Right. So you wouldn't think you'd have what sounds to me like a Confederate soldier that got a head wound and died.
0: I mean, could be. But that was just one thought that crossed my mind because I'm always trying to explain Explain things.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. And, you, you know, as you tell these urban legends and these stories over time and all these people are getting up in the middle of the night, it's dark. You probably already have these thoughts in your head and it's pretty easy to all of a sudden, did I take an extra step or is that something I can't see taking an extra step?
0: Well, and not only that, but all the energy that they put into it, they mm-hmm. could have created, created this. it. Yes. You're
1: right. Very right. I mean, that one story, it sounded like they were actually fighting with a thing, which is pretty amazing. It's one thing to see it, but when you're having a fight with it and pinning it to the wall. And getting a broken arm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty, pretty intense there. Thank you so much for suggesting this, Jules. I had not only never heard of this location, but I had no idea. it had so many wonderful experiences to go with it. Yes, thank you very much. We encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We have listeners that have some projects going on. I just wanted to share some of their stuff. First of all, people might remember Susan Johnson, who joined me with the Flagstaff episode, and she does the tours down there. We talked about the walk-up murders, and she was writing a book about it, and she's actually got it done, and it's going to be available to the public on September 27th. Awesome. She is sending me a copy of it, so I will let y'all know what the name of it is and everything and uh, where you can get a hold of that. I'm sure it's going to be a fascinating story because, you know, it's one of these old-time murder things, and it's like, what happened there?
0: Looking forward to opening that book. Sean Fitzgibbon had shared with me,
1: gosh, I think it was back in 2019 that he was working on a graphic novel about the Haunted Crescent Hotel. He recently completed a 240-page fully painted graphic nonfiction about that. And they have a Kickstarter going for it. It's going to be launching here in October. And what you would look up on Kickstarter is Sean Fitzgibbon forward slash what follows is true crescent hotel so i think if you put that in the search you'll be able to find it i will put a link in our show notes as well for anybody who would like to help him out with that very cool also along those lines if you want to help out somebody maybe you like to pay it forward like we do kelly and you hear about somebody personally i don't like to give to charities because i don't know where the money's going i like to give to actual people that i know and we have someone we know that's in a little bit of trouble If any of you listened to the episode Ghost Hunting New Orleans and Beyond, you heard that we were joined by our favorite tour guide out there, Cedric Whitaker. Well, as you can imagine, we just had Hurricane Ida rip through New Orleans and it really devastated his family. Of course, they've come through the pandemic where doing ghost tours, you're not making a whole lot of money. They finally were just getting on their feet and now this is ripped through there and shut everything down again. They've decided, and I know you guys are going to be shocked because you heard how much he loves Nola on that show. Yeah, very passionate about it. They're moving the family. So it sounds like they're going to be heading up towards Gettysburg and getting settled there, and they just need some help with getting along those lines. If you would like to help them out, they have a GoFundMe set up. We do have the link up in the Spooktacular crew in our announcements. And I also will put a link to that in the show notes as well. If you want to send a few dollars Cedric's way, it's a family who could really use some help. I know a lot of people are trying to find ways that they can help out in New Orleans. Well, here's somebody personally that you can help out and you know that the money's going to something good. Yep, they could definitely use the assistance. Exactly. I mean, they're, right now they have a house that they can't even inhabit. It was so munched up. So we appreciate you guys considering that. And because of that, we're very disappointed This weekend, while you guys are listening to this, we'll be heading up to St. Augustine for our live show and the ghost hunt at the St. Augustine Lighthouse. And of course, Cedric and Evie were supposed to join us there and they're not gonna be able to do that. So we're really bummed about that.
0: Yeah, but we'll we'll get together with them sometime in the future and hunt some ghosties. I know we have even more reason to go to Gettysburg now for sure. Exactly. So we'll
1: wait till they get settled. He's probably going to be doing ghost tours up there. So we'll head up there and be like, look, we get to have our favorite ghost host in a different location. Exactly. It's like, wow, can we just have you as our traveling companion for all this stuff?
0: <laughs> Definitely.
1: We want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Lori Alexander for upping her contribution. We're going to be moving you into a grand garden crypt, and you'll be getting a logo mug in three months.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.
1: Schlosser. I always want to say Schloss furnaces when I see her
0: name. I always want to say Schlossly. Schlossley. Did you know story? Of No. Uh, Schlossly was an imaginary pet that my mom and her brothers and sisters had when they were kids.
1: Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> no. Where did they get that name from?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I can't
1: remember. Jules is going to be so delighted that we were having fun with her last name like this. Great.
0: <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't bother her. Celluloid was the first type of plastic used for false teeth and eventually was replaced by polymethyl methacrylate. Thanks, Scott
1: Booker. Say that 10 <laughs> times really fast. <laughs> when I typed that out, I was like, oh, Kelly's gonna <laughs> love that word. Hairball. <laughs> this is what happens when we record after having breakfast.
0: We get really flammy. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Something that has kept VMI unique is that unlike other senior military colleges colleges and that men from the Union Cavalry,
1: is they going to get me? <laughs> cavalry <time>, or cavalry? <laughs> I always say it wrong and then the listeners
0: get me for it. Well, what's the one that I always do? Well, I always say supposedly instead of supposedly. <laughs> you know what? There are
1: a lot of podcasters that do that. I hear that a lot on podcasts. <laughs>
0: As a unit in pitched combat. Come back, come back, come back. I'm thinking
1: of Titanic now <laughs> when she's yelling for the boats to come back and get her when she's in yes. the water.
0: Come back. Blowing come back. the whistle. Yep. Yeah.
1: 1400,000 alumni alumni they're illuminated
0: (laughs) (laughs) alumni sounds so fancy like tourism
1: well they say (laughs) smart people are illuminated or illuminated or something like that so i just was going with that okay jay kingster shared his experience on reddit 11 years ago first (laughs) he's a little geeky one sorry about that jay kinster shared his experience on reddit 11 years ago If he's a kinkster, we don't want to know about his experience. (laughs) Poor guy. It's a PG show. Come on now, mister.
0: Another odd occurrence was with that, was with what, was with what my roommate and I (laughs) believe. It smells.
1: We've got to wave the closet door back and forth because, well, we're not exactly sure if Mia's breakfast didn't agree with her. (laughs) But I don't know what she ate when she got on the patio. There's some kind of Three funk Hays. here in the <laughs> studio closet. <laughs> <laughs>